permanent gifts of the spirit part two. Remember last time we were talking about the gifts of the spirit and we left off uh, because we couldn't finish them all. Uh, but we, the text, the text is Romans 12, 6, Romans chapter 12, verse 6. Now, like we were talking last time, these are gifts that the Spirit gives to His people for the edification of the church. Okay, this is for the edification of the church. Now, briefly, before I start, I wanted to say that the, the term gift, the way the Bible uses the term, the word in Greek is charisma. That's we get our word for somebody who's charismatic, right? Like a, a charismatic person or whatnot, or somebody who has charisma. Now, it's, it means gift, but in the sense not of like a present, like a Christmas present, but gift in the sense of like an ability. Like somebody has a, a skill, like in the secular sense would be like somebody has a skill or a particular ability that they can do really good. And so that's in the sense that this word is used. In the Spanish language, we have a perfectly good word for it, which is don, D-O-N, right? Don del Espíritu, well, don is del Espíritu, right? So it has that connotation of an ability or an endowment or, or a particular skill that you can do naturally that for whatever reason you can do it better than other people, right? Like some people just naturally can draw really good and I can't draw really good. I could practice and I will never draw really good. As somebody who has the gift that they can just start drawing, doodling, and are very good at it, okay? So that's, that's the idea. Now these are spiritual gifts, not to be confused with talents and skills. A talent would be more like a natural ability, like I said, drawing or singing. Some people can sing really good for some reason. I can't, I have tried. No matter how much I practice, I cannot sing really good. Some people can't, right? Natural abilities are, you know, things that people can do that are natural talents. Now, here's the tricky part. All good things come from God. We know that. Even unbelievers may have natural talents and abilities that are God-given because God is the creator. God made us. He designed us. And he gave us the things that we have. So even Unbelievers may have natural skills or talents that are God-given. But those are not spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts specifically are for spiritual things. And so these are given by the Spirit of God to His people, that will be believers, so they can edify the church and help others grow spiritually. These are spiritual gifts, and therefore that purpose. Not to be confused with talents, not to be confused with abilities, etc., which we all have in different ways. So, we picked up, or we left up, in uh, Romans 12, verse 6, which it says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, to the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes, in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Okay, so here's the list of the spiritual gifts. Now, we left off, last time we covered prophecy, 
which is the Spirit-given ability to proclaim boldly the Word of God, and also service, which is the Spirit-given ability to identify needs within the church and to be able to meet those needs, okay? So now we're going to be talking about the gift of teaching, gift of teaching. Now, what is the gift of teaching? It is the Spirit-given ability to communicate biblical truth, right? The Spirit-given ability to be able to communicate biblical truth. Now, in a sense, yes, the gift of prophecy is also that. But the difference being that this, the gift of teaching is to be able to communicate things from the Bible, like basic Christian doctrine, and be able to explain it to people so they can learn it and then apply it. Now, because of that, the gift of teaching is more time-consuming. A person may go to a town and proclaim the gospel boldly, and a lot of people may be saved in that town and come to Christ, and then they'll move on to the other town and do the same, and a lot of people get saved, etc. But those people need to be taught. And to be taught, they need somebody to show them and to teach them the words of of God, the Word of God, or the doctrines of the Bible. That takes more than just one sitting. You have to sit there and you have to explain. It may take some time, it may take some years, it may take months, etc. But teaching is the long process of being able to walk people through the Bible, explain the Bible to them in a way that they can understand, and then apply it in their lives. Now, this can happen in many different ways. This could happen um, in a Sunday school setting. This could happen from the pulpit with an elder who teaches the congregation. This could happen at a children's church. This could happen in a small group or a Bible study, etc. In different ways, God has gifted certain people with the ability to be able to communicate the truth of the Bible so they can learn them and apply them. Now, People that have this gift have the ability not only to see the truth, but also are able to articulate it and communicate it so that folks, folks could learn it, okay? They could learn the truth of the Bible. So in order to do that, you have to see them. So the person with the gift of teaching can see the truths of the Bible, then they can articulate those truths and then communicate them in a way that people can understand. So there are people who teach, and they teach in such a way that it goes right over your head everything that they're saying, right? It's all going all over your head. You have no idea what they're saying. The person that has the spiritual gift of teaching is able to teach in such a way that the person understands what is being said from the Bible and learns it and then it's, learns how to apply it. Okay, people that have this gift have also a natural inclination to want to learn the things of the Bible. So if you're the type of person that likes to inquire about the Word of God, likes to know about the scriptures, are interesting in doctrine, theology, why, what this word means, why is it there? What is God trying to say? You may be the type of person that have the gift of teaching, right? 
So, for example, there have been some wayward souls that have told me that I perhaps may have this gift of teaching. All right? Now, these uh, um, part of the gift, in my experience, I'm going to give you my experience. All right? In my experience, uh, teaching or teaching the Bible involves a lot of researching, a lot of reading, a lot of time looking at things that often doesn't even make it to my sermons. But there's hours of preparation, learning, etc. So with the gift of teaching, in my experience, is the supernatural ability to uh, persevere in boredom. Okay? <laughs> so the, with the gift of teaching comes the perseverance in boredom. All right? Let me explain this to you. When I was single, a long time ago, um, I went to the library to check out. So I go to the library. That's how exciting my life is. All right. So I, um, I, had some, I, I went to the library, and there was this, I still remember this, this two-DVD set okay, called Christianity, the First Thousand Years. The other one was Christianity, the Second Thousand Years. So the 2,000 years history is Christianity. Okay. Um, six hours and 39 minutes, both of them together which I watched in one sitting, twice. So, <laughs> twice. It was a secular view of the history of Christianity from Jesus all the way through, all the way through to our day, narrated by Ossie Davis. Anybody remembers Ossie Davis? Greatest voice in the planet, okay? Um, over six hours and 30-something minutes of that thing. I watched the whole thing twice, very excitingly and very happily, okay? That's a spiritual gift, <laughs> all right? Most people won't be able to do that, okay? They would have given up within 10 minutes of that, all right? But that's the idea. Person that has this gift loves research, loves looking into these things, loves trying to understand the Bible, and then this person has the ability to articulate all of that and communicate it in a way that people can understand it, all right? This gift is necessary in the Christian church. We need this gift. We need people that are able to take what the Scripture says, to learn it, articulate it, and to communicate it. Part of the reason that we get into so much trouble in Christianity today is because this is not being done like the Bible commands this to be done. And part of the reason is because it's a long, drawn-out process. And we want to make church a very short, entertaining thing. And to be taught and to learn takes time. And the more entertaining and the more nice and the more short we make our churches, the less teaching that we have to sacrifice and that's why we're getting into trouble. Let me give you an example. In Acts chapter 11, verse 22, the Bible says, The report came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man 
full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught them and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So here's what happens. Bartimaeus goes down. He's sent down to Antioch, which is a Gentile city. And he's there. He's exhorting them, right? He's preaching to them. And lots of people are getting saved. So he figures, well, I need to go and get Paul. And I'm going to bring him down. So he brings Paul down. And Paul comes. And for a whole year, notice the time frame here, for a whole year, they taught them and they taught a great many people. That's the process. Barnabas went, got Paul, they came down, and they had to spend a whole year teaching the people in Antioch. What were they teaching them? Well, these are Gentiles. They don't know the Old Testament. They don't know the scriptures. They don't know about Moses. They don't know about any of that. But they had to come down and teach them those things so they could learn them. So the result of this is that the disciples was first called Christians in Antioch, right? They learn about the gospel, they learn about Jesus, they learn about the Old Testament, they learn about the promises. This whole process took a year. It doesn't take a Sunday service. It doesn't take a little um, revival meeting campaign. It takes a year. This is why this is an important gift in the church today. But the way that we do church is sacrificing this gift. And that's why we're getting into trouble. That's why you have people many times who've been going to church for 20 years and don't know basic Christian doctrine. And they've been going to church for 20 years, 25. And you see them still being carried around by every wave and wind of doctrine. When you've been going to church for 20 years, you should at least have a foundation of what the Bible teaches about the Christian faith, about who Jesus is, about his sacrifice, his substitution, what he came to do, etc. Those are basic Christian teachings that are being neglected because of how we do church. So this is a very important gift for the church. It is a command for us to teach. You see that all over the New Testament. So teaching is drawn out, long, takes time. It's also structured. It's also systemic. Uh, the book of Acts that we read, chapter 11, was written by a guy named Luke who also wrote the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 1, verse 1, says this, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. All right, let's go back. Number one, Luke says, um, I have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. In other words, certain things happened among us. This guy named Jesus came around. We got saved. I went with Paul, did all these things. So I have decided to compile a narrative. I'm going to put some stuff together, okay? Um, 
Just as those from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. So I have talked to people, I conducted some interviews, I've talked to others that were eyewitnesses of Jesus and his resurrection and his, his account. I put it all together, okay? It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. That sounds like a professor, doesn't it, right? He says, I have researched, I looked into these things, I've talked to some people, uh, I've decided to compile the narrative in an orderly fashion. I'm going to start at a, you know, at a certain time frame with the life of Jesus. I want to continue on in an orderly account of the things that have happened so that you may have certainty of the things that you have been taught, right? You have been taught certain things. You have heard certain things. Dear Theophilus, well, I'm going to write an orderly account so you can be for sure that those things are true. That's teaching. Research, putting things together, orderly, systemically, structurally, and then either writing them or teaching them so people can be for sure that those things are true. That's Luke. And so, if you're the type of person that is interested in the things of God, such as doctrine, apologetics, theology, and such, then you may have the gift of teaching. If you like to walk others through the scriptures and explain them, then you may have this gift. Now, like I said earlier, teaching is expressed differently. Sometimes, like I said from the pulpit, Sunday school. I mean, a lot of the things that you remember, if you grew up in church about the Christian faith, where do they come from? Sunday school, when you were a little kid. Remember when you were a little kid, they tell you a little story, they do little illustrations and stuff, little Jonah, little whale and Jonah and all that stuff. That's teaching. We remember Bible because of the old ladies who gave us little illustrations and stuff in Sunday school when we were little kids. That's teaching. That's the Word of God being taught to people. It could happen in that setting. It could happen in one-on-one. -on -one. You may have a co-worker. Some people have co-workers that are inquiring about things. You sit down with them, have lunch with them, explain certain things, look up certain stuff on apologetics, share with them. That person may be drawn to the Scriptures and the Holy Spirit saves them. That happens also. That's teaching. Commentaries. A great benefit we get from commentaries. Without commentaries, there's no preachers, okay? <laughs> That's what preachers do. They read commentaries, articles, books written by men and women that take the substance of the Word of God and explain them, explain different doctrines. So teaching could also be expressed in writing, articles, journals, commentaries, etc., one-on-one -on -one with co-workers or friends that we walk through them, you know, through the different aspects of the Word of God. This is all the gift of teaching being put to use in the church. And it is for the building up of the body. And it is a very important gift. All gifts of the Spirit are important. But the gift of teaching in our time period is incredibly important because we need it. Okay, so there's teaching. Now we go on to 
exhortation. Exhortation. Now, the gift of exhortation is related. Prophecy, um, teaching, and exhortation. Now, I'll explain. With prophecy, proclamation, you hear the words of God proclaimed to you. In teaching, you are taught and you learn the words of God. But one thing is to hear the Word of God. The other thing is to do the Word of God, right? So it's not only that we hear and understand the Word of God, but we also have to do the Word of God, and there comes the gift of exhortation. Notice, if we go back to Acts chapter 11, Barnabas came to Antioch, when he saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted, he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. He exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord. The gift of exhortation is the Spirit-given ability to admonish and encourage others in the faith. It is motivational. In the gift of prophecy, you hear the Word of God proclaim. In teaching, you learn and understand the Word of God. But in exhortation, you are exhorted to do the Word of God. Here's the guy who pushes you along. When I was single, I had a Volkswagen Jetta. Okay. The battery died. I was broke. Couldn't buy a battery until I got paid two weeks later. But it was a stick shift. And you can put it in first gear. And if you have somebody push you, you let go of the clutch, it starts, right? Okay. I drove my car for two weeks to work. Wake up in the morning, I will tell my brother, hey, come push the car. He'll push the car. I'll let go of the clutch, start it, drive down to my job. After work, I will linger around. If I saw some dudes walking out of the warehouse, I'd be like, hey, what's up? They already see me coming after the third day. They knew what I was about. <laughs> some reason, they started leaving in the front. I don't understand. Everybody always leaves through here. It's just, where were they at? And I will ask him, hey, can you push, help me push my car? So they would push, and I did that for a whole, till I got paid, because I couldn't afford a battery. Um, that's exhortation, okay? Exhortation is a guy who pushes you, so you can let go of the clutch and get going, all right? That's the gift of exhortation. Some of us, at many times, need that push to get going. That's when the gift comes in. See, some of us, many times, are either down, could be in disobedience, could be doing things that we shouldn't do, and we need somebody to come around, kick us around a little bit, push us around a little bit to get us going. And that's where the gift of exhortation comes, okay? See, the Bible says, let me give you an example. The Bible says all things work for get together for good. We all know that. We can recite that to ourselves all the time. But then our loved one dies, we get sick, we, get, um, we find ourselves struggling with something, cancer may come in, or some other disease, then all of a sudden, this all things that work together for good seems very far-fetched. Because we, we got that here, in your brain, but then you got all this stuff happening, and, and this whole thing seems far-fetched. But then along comes a brother or a sister in Christ and encourages you, reminds you of the promises of God, tells you not to give up, tells you, have you prayed about this? 
you say, well, I'm, I'll get to it. No, let's pray right now. In fact, I'll pray for you. I'll pray with you right now in front of everybody in Walmart. We'll do this right now. We'll get you going. That is an exhorter. That is a person who is pushing you along, who's bridging the gap between what you know in your brain and what you should actually practice in your real life. That's the exhorter. Okay? Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 says this. Philippians 4, 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything in excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things, what you have learned and received and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul wrote that from jail, by the way. He was in jail when he wrote that. He was in custody. Notice what he says. He gives you some great stuff there. Awesome stuff. Heavenly stuff. But then he says, what you have received and heard and seen in me, practice. That's exhortation. What you have seen proclaimed to you, what you have heard through the teaching of the word, I need you to do. I'm in jail. I'm going through it. You, you seeing what I do, you do too. You put it into practice. You put it to work. These are the great promises that you have that God has given you. I need you to know them, which you do. I need you to understand them, which you do. Now I need you to put them into practice. I need you to live them out in real life. He's given them that push so they can let go of the clutch and get going. That's the exhorter. That is the gift of exhortation. Um, we need exhortation in the church because sometimes somebody, like I said, needs to kick you around, tell you to man up, tell you to get going. That's what we need. We need that in churches. We need that in our lives. We need somebody who has the gift of exhortation in our churches and in our lives. Um, just to show that I play well with others, here's a quote from Charles Stanley. He says, The person with a gift of exhortation desires to see others mature in their faith. The exhorter desires to see that others are growing in their spiritual lives. Exhorters are people-oriented, discipleship-oriented, growth-oriented, maturity-oriented. They are practical people. They're not heady people. That's the teachers, right? They're in the theory, they're in the, they're in the words, they're in the theology, all that is great. The exhortation person is in the practical stuff. What are you doing? What steps are you taking? One, two, three, four. Are you following these instructions? That is the exhorter. They are wise. They have wisdom from God. They have discernment. They can tell there's something wrong with you. They know how to apply biblical wisdom and encouragement. They are discreet, meaning they can, you can confide in them. They're not gossipers. They're not going to tell others. 
the stuff that you tell them, you can confide, okay? They have enthusiasm. They're optimistic. You know people like that? They're so annoying. They're always, you know what I'm saying? Everybody's down and they're always like very enthusiastic and everything. Hey guys, that's the type of person, all right? They have enthusiasm. They believe in the promises of God, like they're real, like this, that they actually are there, that you can grasp them and touch them, right? That's the person that have a supernatural ability that even going through bad times, they remain enthusiastic. They have that spirit-given ability to do that, and they can exhort others. Lastly, and most importantly, Biblical exhortation points you to Jesus. It's not just advice. It's not Oprah. It's not, what's the name of that guy with the big smile? I forgot his name. Robbins. Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins? Is that a person? Nobody? Okay. Um, biblical exhortation points you to Jesus. It's not just human advice, but it's biblical advice. It points you to Christ. Hebrews chapter 12 Verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He's exhorting people who are dealing with persecution. And he tells them, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. He wrote our faith, right? This Christian belief system that we have. Who's the author? Who's the perfecter? That is Jesus. How did Jesus endure the cross? Well, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. So Jesus looks at the cross, death, uh, torture, separation from the Father. He sees all of that in front of him. But then he looks past that all the way at the other side. And what does he see? Resurrection, glorification, the redemption of his people. Eternally, eternity with his people, sitting at the right hand of the Father. He sees all these things at the other side of the cross, and he says, for that joy, I'll endure the pain. See what I'm saying? That's how he endures. So he tells, the writer of Hebrews tells his audience, okay, that's how you persevere. You see, Jesus is your joy. You're in Him. This life can throw whatever it can at you, but greater than this life is Jesus. They're going to capture you. They perhaps will kill you. Greater than death is Jesus, right? At the other side of this whole thing we call life, there is what? Resurrection. There is redemption. There is eternal fellowship with Christ and the Father in His heavenly kingdom. So for that joy, Whatever you got going on here, then for that joy, then you endure the pain because you have something on the other side. You see, the thing at the other side is real, but you don't see it because you're in this side. You can see what's in front of you, which is your pain, your suffering, your disease, or whatever. 
The exhortation is what pushes you on to the other side. It makes you realize that at the other side of this thing, there's something greater and more valuable, and you need to perceive that. That's the exhortation. The exhorter is the person that bridges the gap between what you know is true and what you got to do in light of that truth. All right? So, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross by looking at the other side of the cross, his resurrection, ascension, seating at the right hand of the Father, redemption of all those who come to him by faith, his return in glory, eternal fellowship with his people, all of which we will share if we are in him. That's how we endure. And so the exhorter, the biblical exhorter, not the human motivational speaker, but the biblical exhorter, will point you always to Christ. That's the difference. The human exhortation, the human motivational speaking will point you to how to fix your life, how to make more money. I don't know what happened to YouTube. YouTube's become like motivational. Every time I go to YouTube and I get an ad, it's some guy telling me, you know, uh, they show you like, I don't know who's handing out checks. It's like, this is how much I made yesterday, $12,000 or whatever, and I will show you how to do it. And I'm like, what? Yeah, I can make $12,000? Everybody can make $12,000? That's amazing. Everybody can just make $12,000. Doing nothing, apparently. You can sit at home. I will show you how to sit at home and get $12,000 checks without doing anything. Okay? That's man-made motivational speaking. All right? Money cannot buy health. Money cannot buy life, because we all die anyways. But Christ gives you life. Christ is greater than any of these issues that we see in this planet. And so the exhorter always, always points you towards, um, towards Jesus. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, says this, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Those are the three things. The public reading of Scripture, the proclamation of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Those are three things that are emphasized in Scripture. There are numerous passages I can sit here and quote to you where we're told to exhort one another constantly, to teach constantly, and to proclaim the Word of God. Three things that should be a foundational aspect of every church is the public reading of Scripture, exhortation, and teaching. These three things go together. Because what is proclaimed to you, what is taught to you, you need to live. And the exhorter comes around and is the one who pushes you to make that happen. Now, one thing I wanted to say is um, all these gifts are essential for our growth. You know, we know that, right? All the gifts that he listed. We haven't gone to the last couple of them. We'll probably get into them last time, next time. Um, but one of the things that I wanted you to know is this is not, you know, when, when you look at these gifts, it's not like, okay, like I got to figure out what my gift is, then I'm going to do my gift. And if somebody comes with another, then, hey, that's not my gift. You got to get that guy over there. That's his gift. That's not my thing. You do. That's not how this works, right? We're all called to do all of these things. All of us. You read through the Bible, we're called to give. You read through the Bible, we're called to serve. We read through the Bible, we're, we're called to share the gospel with others. That'll be to proclaim the gospel to the others. 
we are called to teach our children and to teach others the Word of God. We're all called to do every single one of these things. And we are to strive to do every single one of these things. But there are going to be people that are specifically gifted in these different areas more than others. For example, if you go to the military, you know that everybody's trained to shoot, right? You go to the military, everybody gets trained to shoot. But there's people who are sharpshooters or snipers, right? So they're particularly better skilled at this thing. Even though everybody should do this, we got these specific people that are trained for this specific thing. If I'm sure in the military they teach you how to tend to your wound in case you get hurt, right? Everybody's taught the same thing. You've got to tend to your wound or if somebody, a fellow soldier, you've got to also. But there's medics, right? People specifically gifted to do this at a higher capacity than others. Yet everybody is taught somehow or everybody should strive to do all of this. That's how it works in the church. We all strive to do all these things, but there may be, there are going to be folks that are going to be more uh, skilled or have a higher capacity to operate in these things at a higher rate than others. Not because they're better, just because the Spirit has gifted them for that purpose and has placed them for that purpose. So I don't want you to say, well, I don't have the gift of teaching. I'm just not going to read the Bible. I'm just going to go home. That's not what I do. There's people who do that. I'm not one of them. Okay, that's not how it works. Right? You read your Bible. You learn. Uh, you may want to watch six hours documentary. I mean, why not? Right? So, but we all strive to do these things. Some of us might be gifted differently at a higher rate than others to carry them out for the edification of the body. So this gift... Another thing, before I finish, I'll get that. Before I finish, this is not for you. This gift is not for you. This gift is for all of us. This is a gift that you give. So the reason why you teach, the reason why you learn, it's not for you to get smart and have the answers. It's for you to edify your brother. The reason why you exhort is to you exhort your brother. The gift is to give so others can receive, it's not for you, all right? That's the whole key for this. This is why we need one another, so that way we can grow um, together. Yes, sir? If you feel like you have a gift in a certain thing, is it, your, is it your responsibility, or is it a sin not to try to use that gift? If you have a gift that God has given you, that you feel, that you feel that you have, it is your responsibility to hone that gift. Right, so if I, and to use it, yes. So if I feel like I have, if I have the gift of teaching, um, I'm reading the Bible, I'm interested in these things, people come to me and ask me, and I'll be like, well, you know, I read this somewhere that, you know, if you look at the scriptures and I explain that to that person, it is your responsibility, because gifts are, with, with, with great powers comes great responsibilities, okay? It is your responsibility, yes, to improve that gift, right? To, if you have the gift of teaching, you should learn, and then you should also try to, you may go to school, you may try to learn how to articulate better, you may try to improve it, but you're responsible to give it because 
if you have the gift of teaching and you're in a particular place and church and situation, you're there because there are people that need to learn. But they're not going to learn unless you teach them. You see what I'm saying? Because you're the one that God has placed in that particular place to do that. Now, like I said, because we're all, because we're all at different stages in the Christian faith and at different times, etc., then we're all going to practice, we're all going to apply that differently. So if you have, and I'm using teaching because that's my gift, okay? I'm not, I'm not singling it out or, or et cetera. But in my case, um, when, when, when I was younger, many years ago, and I started looking at the things of the Bible, people would ask me questions, I would try to answer them, et cetera. I didn't automatically start it preaching from a pulpit. You see what I'm saying? That, that took time. I had, to, I had to learn some more. I had to... You know, it took like a period of time where I had to hone those skills and practice them and ask others and inquire of other people. But if you have the gift, you're responsible for it. Yes. I mean, that's, and that goes with any of us here. So if you have the gift of exhortation, serving, whatever gifts you may have, it is your responsibility because the Spirit gave it to you for a reason, for a purpose, and that purpose is the edification of others. So I may need some exhortation, and I'm going to get it from one of you all because uh, I may not have it, right? I cannot exhort myself. Maybe I could, but I may need that other person to come along and push. I try to push that Jetta, okay, by myself. That didn't work out like I thought it would work out. So I had to get other people to come and push from behind so I can let go of that clutch and get it going, right? That's how the spirits work. We're here for each other. So, anyways, all these gifts, like I said, are, are essential to our growth, the building up of the church body. They're essential in our spiritual lives as individuals. We need them. We need to be exhorted. We need to be taught. We need to be proclaimed the Word of God to. And we need to use the gifts that we have also to serve others because they need your gift. I need your gifts. Whatever gifts you guys have, I need them in my spiritual life to grow and to become a better Christian. So that's how the Spirit of God brings growth to His church. All right? So, exhortation, we're done to today. We got a couple of more to go that we'll be covered next time. But just remember this. This is a great quote from John Wesley Christianity is not a solitary religion, this is not something you do on your own. You do this in community of other people. You don't grow on your own. You grow in community of other people. A lot of people, I hear this all the time. Um, you know, I don't need commentaries. I just get my word. I just read the Bible. That's all I need. I just need the Bible. Okay? Typically, those are the people with the worst doctrines and made-up teachings ever. God has given His church a history of Bible teaching going back to the early days. We need those people. They're dead, but we need those people. We need the, you know, a lot of, some, some religions that deny, let's say, the doctrine of the Trinity, right? Important doctrine that we should all believe. They'll say, well, that's the doctrine that's not in the Bible. Well, yeah, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. The doctrine is in the Bible. The word is not in the Bible. That was just corrupted by, by the church, the Catholic church. So you're telling me God took his word, dropped it in the first century, 
went back to heaven and came down with you. God didn't preserve his teaching in the church for 2,000 years. The Bible says that he will guide you into all truth, that God was preserving his truth. If the doctrine of the Trinity is a historical doctrine, then it just proves that it's what the Bible teaches. Because I don't think Aquinas was Aquinas, Wesley, Luther, Calvin, uh, Ignatius, Augustine, Athanasius. I mean, you start with the first century all the way up to today. This doctrine has been preserved in the church, the doctrine of the Trinity, through many different teachers and theologians have come along, and they were all wrong, but you're right. You know what I'm saying? It's impossible. We need the teachings of the church. And I'm not saying tradition is the Bible, right? The Bible surpasses tradition. But God has given us teachers in the church throughout history and even today that can affirm to us the words and the teachings of this book. And we need them. We need exhorters. We need proclaimers. Somebody needs to proclaim the word of God to us to build us up and encourage us. We need exhorters. We need service. We need all these gifts because we're not in this alone. And you and your Bible at home. We're here together as a church, the body of Christ. But anyways, with that I end. I don't have any more time, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your scriptures, your, your preservation of them, Lord. We thank you for your spiritual gifts that you have enabled all of us to participate in your kingdom, to strengthen one another, to be there and build up one another, Lord with the gifts that you have given us, Lord. These are not our gifts, these are not our abilities, but these are gifts that you have given us um, and that you will help us by your grace operate in them that we may grow together and build uh, ourselves up as a church. We thank you and in Jesus' name we pray, amen.